you know, what a terrible taste you're going to leave in someone's mouth. If you're telling them like their wedding or their style or whatever, isn't cool enough for you. Like gross. The goal isn't to live forever. The goal is to create something that will. Welcome to Perspective, a podcast for wedding creatives, where we sit down often with a special guest and talk about our many years of experience in the wedding industry so that you can listen to and to help grow your wedding business. On this episode of Perspective, we're talking to Washington-based wedding and elopement photographer Benj Heish. Fun fact, our guest today is considered to have done the very first adventure elopement Considering the popularity of this genre of photography, that's saying something. Benj loves to create visual history focusing on nostalgia and legacy, much like ourselves, and mentions he's actually more interested in what his clients will think about their photos in 20 years from now, rather than their first impressions. We're going to hear about Benji's origin stories and find out how his approach to capturing images has evolved as his life has evolved with relationships and family. We're also going to be talking about the idea that the most meaningful photos aren't always impressive and the most impressive photos aren't always meaningful. We'll also dabble in a few post-production workflows. We'll talk about his presets, his YouTube channel, and how he selects his clients. However, Greg, tell us what we're drinking today. So here at the Cinemate office, we have some Cat and Cloud coffee, which is a roaster out of Santa Cruz in California. And it's their The Answer blend mm. from beans from Central America and Africa. Very good. It tastes lovely. I yep. pre-poured it this time. Benj, what are you drinking? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm feeling a little under the weather, so I'm just drinking water right now, trying to pound as much of that as I can possibly get down. Oh, mm-hmm. Getting those mm-hmm. fluids in, keeping hydrated. Yeah, yep. nothing yep. fun. <laughs> uh, fun times, illness all around. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, obviously we don't want to dwell on anything uh, coronavirus related, but we might talk about a little bit just because <laughs> that's been our general lives for the past week. So just bear with us, listeners. Apologies for that. Um, getting back onto our coffee, I love this packaging. It's like awesome yeah. blue, cool name. Cat and Cloud are they're one of my favorite roasters. I've sort of followed their online stuff for a while. They're just really good business people mm. and seem to be really switched on. Marketing's great mm. and their branding's pretty cool as well. Yeah, sweet. And it's lovely. Yeah, that helps. The fact that, that it's that good coffee. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> are, you, are you quite a big coffee fan in general, Benj? Um, yeah, I mean, we, I have plenty of friends that own roasteries and coffee shops and everything like that. Um, but to everyone's sort of dismay, I usually just wake up with my son in the morning and make an espresso really quick and <laughs> don't go the full nine yards. So uh, <laughs> I might be embarrassing a lot of people, including myself with that answer, but that's the truth. <laughs> hey, I I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I have an espresso machine at my house. I don't have anything fancy. In fact, this morning I just had, I had um, uh, just one of those freeze dried coffees. Instant. I had, in- that's the one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my God. I had an instant coffee. I mean, it was horrible, but it get, it's yeah. the start of the day. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So how's your, how was last week or your weekend been in general? Yeah. Um, 
I mean, so I have, uh, so a little bit about me, like I have, I live in the Pacific Northwest. I have uh, a wife and a almost four-year-old son. Um, and my wife is a pediatric nurse. So, um, she works a bunch of random weekends and nights and stuff like that. And so this was a weekend that she was working all weekend. So my weekend was actually me just staying in sweats all weekend and running around with a four-year-old basically. So a little bit different than uh, a normal weekend, but oh yeah, yeah. So, what kind of stuff have you been getting up to then? Yeah, well, I mean, so I, again, we can't like I don't want to dwell on the the quarantine and the COVID nineteen coronavirus stuff too much, but uh, yeah, we're sort of in like a voluntary quarantine right. section right now, and we all thought we might have had it a couple like or last week, so we sort of self quarantined ourselves while we were waiting to get tested. And so we've basically been sticking within our block. Uh, so we'll go out for walks and stuff like that, but we're always keeping distance between other people. And mm-hmm. uh, luckily we have, we have a backyard. So uh, just kind of lots of playing around in the backyard and nice. playing with Legos and mm-hmm. <laughs> that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, that's cool. I, uh, well, this morning I walked into the office, not that there's many people here. It was just me and Greg and, yeah. One other guy who was working in the corner just said, man, how much alcohol have you been drinking this week? Because my alcohol <laughs> consumption is right up the roof, honestly. Yeah, most weeks I try and sort of not drink during the week and just have a couple of beers at the weekend casually. But yeah, most nights it's like, oh, might as well just have a beer tonight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, for sure. We had uh, some of my friends locally who are also wedding photographers, because uh, that's what I do. I'm a wedding photographer. And uh, a few of us got together and did like a virtual happy hour uh, on Friday. Just like all showed up on a Zoom meeting and grabbed a drink and yeah. chatted, you know, so. Oh, yeah. Did uh, Where does Zoom come from? It seems to be just, I had never heard about it until my wife the other night when she was having a, a Zoom hangout thing. It's been like, around. Has it? It's just popular yeah. now because that's what people are having to do. Oh, right. Yeah. Man, that software, whoever developed that software must be like, so happy. <laughs> so happy. Yeah, crazy. Yeah. We've got a co-working space here that we run in Glasgow and I was saying to one of the guys that we need to get a night this week and just do the same, just a virtual hangout, just get together, talk a, talk a load of rubbish and just chill out and forget about things for a while. Oh, for sure. And I think especially for someone like me, at least that is, I mean, this whole uh, being sort of self-quarantine thing is sort of 80% normal for me anyway, because I work from home, but yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. it's still so good to like get together with people, even if it's virtually and just talk and be like, at least, I mean, for me, when we did that thing on Friday, it was just like the realization of, oh yeah, we're like all in the same boat together. Like I was feeling stressed a lot of last week with just reschedules and all sorts yeah. of chaos, but, oh, yeah. um, you know, sitting around and, and hearing that, uh, a lot of my friends and peers and stuff like that are literally in the same boats and seeing their faces and stuff like that made a, a big difference for me at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's like everybody all around the world is in the same boat. It's, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. Mm-hmm. I noticed recently that on Instagram, you've been doing quite a few Instagram live videos and going live most days. Is that a new thing from being cooped up in the house regular? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I probably hadn't done a live video. I used to do them, I don't know, every couple months or something, um, a few years ago. And then, um, yeah, just felt like I, I was just kind of getting sick. I've, I'd been sort of self-isolating in a way for about, I don't know, a week plus anyway. And then it was just going like, you know, like we got to find better ways to connect. Like if, if anybody wants to jump on and do this thing, I thought it'd be kind of fun. 
Uh, but then I saw that a lot of people were doing it. And then I saw some people complaining that so many people were doing it because a lot of people don't have uh, their notifications turned off. So it would be like just their phone buzzing all the time when people are going live. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, I'll figure out, I think I did it three or four times last week. Uh, I did an interview with somebody else and then did twice on my own. Uh, But yeah, I'll see if, I'll see if we keep going with that or not, or, what, but yeah, man, just trying to get creative with ways to connect with people. And, uh, for me too, to like, kind of like help other photographers through all this stuff. And mm. yeah, for sure. That's awesome. I mean, I have not spoken to my friends more than this week, probably like, yeah. oh, for I, sure. I try to remove myself as much as I can from social media and, uh, I've really trying to be an assess, like assessing all the good things that have come from this. That, that I found personally, obviously I know there's like all the negativity that comes from having a virus spreading and everything, all, all the death and all the sorrow that comes with that. But I have been spending a little bit more time with my kids. That's nice. Greg's been spending less time with me. I'm sure that he finds that nice. <laughs> That's always nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Um, yeah, more time with my wife. It's, you know. Yeah. So you mentioned that you've got a, was it a four-year-old son? Yeah. So he'll be four in like, a month and a half or something. Yeah. So, How, how's he coping? Is he normally at nursery mm. or is he coping with isolating? Is mm. that affecting him at all? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, he usually, um, yeah, has friends he gets to play with and he uh, goes to preschool a few days a week. Um, so, like right now, like when I, we originally scheduled this podcast, I was like, oh, yeah, totally. My kid will be at preschool. This will be <laughs> yeah. perfect. Um, but I mean, luckily, obviously, this works out too. But yeah, he, uh, he just loves to sit around and play with Legos. So I don't think that he's too bummed by it, but um, yeah, he's definitely missing out on hanging out with his friends and um, seeing family members. We usually see my, my parents like once a week at least. And, um, but we've been doing the same thing. Like we have, uh, he has tons of cousins and stuff. So we did like a FaceTime hangout with all of them last week. And then I did one with my brothers and their kids uh, yesterday, I think. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, just trying to find like kind of creative ways to make sure we're staying connected and people are still, still seeing each other and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Do you, do you have quite a large family of, of brothers and stuff? Yeah. So I have two brothers, uh, and one has two kids and one has one. So, I mean, we have a few there and then my wife is one of six kids. Ooh. Um, and all of them except for one have at least one kid, so that side is like, obviously just kind of like overflowing. And my, my <laughs> son who is not yet four, um, is the oldest of all the kind of cousins and stuff. So we Ooh. have, I don't know how many cousins now, but they're all under, <laughs> I think, I think, uh, he's the oldest by like a year plus. So I don't even think any of them are over three other than wow. him. So, oh man, that's awesome. Yeah, it's just a lot of little ones running around when we do family <laughs> stuff for sure. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's going to be so good when they start growing up. Like when they're a little bit older and they start playing with each other. Oh, oh such, a, such a good time. Absolutely, yeah. Ah, that'd be awesome. Um, cool. Should, should we get on with the rest? Let's, let's play the jingle and get into the main, main topic. <laughs> Yeah, so you've been on our radar for quite a while, actually, uh, as somebody mm. to talk to, because we spoke to Eric Floberg. Uh, I don't know yeah, how many episodes Eric. ago that was. It was quite a while ago. That was but a wee while ago. He mentioned you. I think there was a story about 
you maybe, I know you guys are friendly, but I think he talked about a story where you officiated at a wedding that he shot or something. Yeah. Does that yeah, sound yeah. So I've, yeah, I have all sorts of connections with Eric. I photographed his wedding actually in 2013, ah, I think. Cool. Oh, cool. Um, so yeah, that was the original connection. Uh, he lives sort of in the middle of the country and I live on the left side of the country, but, um, yeah. And then, uh, I randomly got ordained, uh, cause you can just do that online here in the States. I don't know if you guys can do that there, but, um, just kind of to do it. And then I officiated a friend's wedding and then he was photographing a wedding out here. Um, and was like, Hey, do you know any officiants that I can refer my clients to? Cause they were coming in front of town too. Yeah. And I was like, well, I mean, I could do it. <laughs> so, yeah, that's uh, cool. yeah, I'm a, as like yeah, as a wedding photographer, um, I've I just always find the different perspectives of the day fascinating. The ones that I don't actually get to be a part of and experience, and so I try the best that I can to put myself in all the other people's shoes whenever I can. So, um, being an officiant and having that perspective of a wedding day, or you know any other vendor or person at that point, um, I just think it's fascinating. So yeah, I've totally volunteered to do a few of them now just to cool. kind of do it. Yeah, that's oh, a pretty that's good awesome. way to look at things. So yeah, obviously Eric mentioned you. We saw a shoot that our friends White and Reverie did in the snowy sort of yeah. the snowy wedding, and then obviously we <clears throat> post online who do people want to hear from. Your names come up a few times, so been on the radar for a while um, for us. But for anyone who hasn't heard of you you've sort of already alluded to it but in your words <laughs> who who are you and what do you do yeah sure um so my name is benj heish uh my last name is kind of weird to say or pronounce or whatever and so is my first name to be fair um but yeah i live in the pacific northwest outside of seattle in the states um i've been a wedding photographer specifically since 2007 um, and it sort of branched into the kind of adventure elopements. Uh, it's actually a term that my couple and I sort of came up with, uh, together, the adventure elopements thing, yeah. um, in 2013, and then have been just sort of doing that and, and rocking and rolling with that whole thing since then. Um, I also, um, started speaking and teaching and kind of have a heart and passion for that, um, a few years ago. So I do a lot of that kind of stuff as well. And yeah, um, have been, yeah. So doing weddings specifically for, I guess this is year 13 for me and yeah, going to keep rolling with it. Kind of love that stuff. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Actually, Greg, you forgot to mention. So when I was going through your website, there was an image that popped up. Now it's on your first page. It's under your Portland wedding um, on your main page, mm. um, that yeah. fo- that image with the groom with his guitar scene to his bride. Um, sure. We had a couple from Austin get in touch with us, and they had that image um, as mm. an inspiration for a part of their wedding. So actually, yeah, like, <clears throat> can you can you remember that image that you took? Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Okay, cool. I'd love to hear how that image came about, just because. It affected sure. one of our wins. So yeah, I just want to hear your yeah, point of view. It inspired one of our grooms to do a similar thing where he surprised his bride by singing. S- sound looks as if it's the same sort of idea. He, he was inspired by your image. So yeah. it'd be interesting to hear yeah. how your groom or what the story was behind that. Yeah, oh, for sure. So um, 
So those that couple is uh, actually. So I used to work at a church a long time ago, and that groom is actually one of the like my like youth group kids. So he's like a friend of my younger brother, and then. Uh, I've just known him forever. I used to play music with him too. Um, and then so as part of the overall kind of getting ready part of the day, he had mentioned that he wanted to, um, you know, surprise his bride to be Anna. He wrote a song for her. Um, you know, I think it was called like white dress or something like that. Um, and he's like, he's a really good musician and stuff like that. And so, um, we were trying to figure out a way to make that happen, without them seeing each other because they still wanted to do a separate first look. Um, and so as we were kind of doing that whole thing, I realized that there, it was an old house where um, they were kind of getting ready in the living room. And then there was a space that was like sort of sectioned off uh, the, for like a dining room, probably at one point had pocket doors or something like that. So there's a slight divide in between the living room and the dining room. Um, and so we just kind of tried to clear everybody and everything out. And we realized that, you know, if we had her kind of close her eyes and he kind of backed up into this separate small wall section, uh, they'd be as close as possible without actually being able to see each other. Yeah. Um, and so we kind of set that thing up, had everyone else kind of back up as much as possible. Um, and then for me, actually, uh, I photographed that particular image that you're talking about with a 15 millimeter lens uh, because it was such a tight, small space. Um, so to be able to get the perspective of them both at the same time, like in that same area. Uh, I luckily just had a crazy wide perspective that I had with me that day. Um, <laughs> and uh, you also probably, well, if you really look at stuff, I've cropped most of it because there was just like getting ready stuff everywhere around there. We tried to push like suitcases and everything out as much as possible. Uh, but yeah, I, I still had to crop it in a little bit because yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I had to have that wide perspective to fit them both in. But then I also had to crop it in because I wanted to get, you know, as much as possible. And yeah, so um, yeah, there's a lot of kind of like logistics going into making sure that happened. Yeah. Uh, but it was obviously just such, such like a sweet moment. Uh, you know, I think in that particular image too, I don't know where it's at exactly, but I think she's even crying a little bit mm. and he ended up crying at the end of it and everyone in the room's crying. So yeah, it was really sweet. I yeah. can't. Uh, I can't believe that you, you were telling me about the that telling us about the fifteen millimeter lens because you had no room. We were also in the exact same situation, so yeah, they, were, they were getting ready at the top <laughs> yeah. of the stairs, and it was literally like a couple of meters, and then the stairs. So I have the photographer crouch down, and I'm essentially uh, like I'm on on top of her back. Essentially, <laughs> I'm like yeah. sitting on top of the photographer, apologizing because. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, yeah, we we only had a twenty four mil uh, with yeah. us at the time. I'm just like having to like push the camera into my chest just to keep the shot yeah. wide enough. Uh, I couldn't. Yeah, and then similar with clearing out as much stuff as possible. <laughs> Obviously, in in video, we can't really edit out yeah. that stuff. So there's mm. if you look closely in our video, you can see bits of things that it would have been better to move. Like I'm sure we missed a bottle of water that's somewhere in the background. <laughs> And when you see yeah. it in the edit, you're like, oh my God, how did we miss that? Like, oh. <laughs> but but yeah. well, I the, think that's the, the moment the, is still there. Yeah. 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 And that's the thing about weddings is like, it's so different from any other type of production because usually at least like, I'm assuming what that was like that for you guys, this was like this for me. We're going, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to do this right now. We have like less than a minute to move things around and try to get everything as prepped as possible. 
and then it's going to happen and we don't have like 20 minutes to go look and make sure that all these details are worked out perfectly and lighting Mm -hmm. set up and people are in the right spots it's like this is happening this is happening now we're already behind schedule let's like do this as fast as possible yeah (laughs) and it was for us it was a complete surprise for the bride so it was a case of moving things without her noticing putting a chair and then saying just take a a seat here and we'll take a take a few photos of you in this light and then the song happened so it was like trying to discreetly tidy up yeah Uh, yeah that's actually I just remember her sitting down kind of a little bit confused Uh, and then uh, her name was getting called out because she she just didn't know what was happening she was like yeah what what's happening here I don't know (laughs) but yeah that's funny so you mentioned that you've been shooting for quite a while almost 13 years so how can you remember back to how you got started into weddings yeah oh for sure so um I don't know if it's like this for anybody else, but I mean, I definitely weddings were not on my radar at all. (laughs) I had no concept of wanting to do weddings. Uh, I'd never been to a wedding before. So it was just like one of those things that, yeah, never had a a clue about trying to do that. Uh, But I had a friend of a friend who was getting married kind of thing and their wedding photographer bailed on them last minute. Um, and her sister like sort of knew me through church and kind of gave me one of those, like, Hey, you're the only person that we know that owns a camera. (laughs) Do you think you can show up and like take these photos for us? And I think I was 22 or maybe even 21. And I was just, I just said, no, like you do not want me to do that. (laughs) Um, that's like definitely not something you want me to do. Yeah. I was 21. Now I think of it. And, uh, they're like, no, no, seriously. Like you're the only person we know that owns a camera. We don't have time to like hire somebody else. And you're the, like, we could just, if you do it, then we don't have to do it. We have like no expectations. Just be the one to like stand there and click a button. Uh, and so I said, sure. I mean, if there's no expectations, you're going to pay me $500 like rock and roll. Yeah. I can figure that out. Um, and then, so I did that wedding and then kind of just posted those photos online as like, Hey, look what I did. I did something fun. Um, and then someone saw those photos and then paid, like offered me more money. And then someone saw those photos from the other wedding and offered me more money. And then someone else saw those, you know, and just like it completely snowballed into, um, went from, yeah, something that I had no interest doing at all into, Oh my gosh, this is making me more than my regular job and I'm still in college or university or whatever. Yeah. Um, and all my career paths are now just diverting to this one thing that just kind of happened on a whim uh, because I'm already making more money than I thought I was going to make anyway. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, just complete <laughs> happenstance, like did not plan on doing it and uh, have been doing it ever since, I guess. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Have you, have you spoken to, to, to that couple like recently, like, to get their perspective on uh, their, those photographs that you took? No, uh, I'm pretty sure. I think, I don't know. I don't know how many of my weddings, but I think the first three or four, like I'm pretty sure that whole first year, none of them are together still. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, no. uh, I guess that's not something, I don't think that's something to laugh about, but because I was thinking like, it's my fault, but uh, <laughs> obviously not. I'm sure yeah, it's not. So I haven't talked to, no, no, no. <laughs> the photos were that bad. Um, <laughs> No, but yeah, I've talked to some of the other people and uh, like one of the people that I think it was my fifth wedding ever or something like that is like a real estate agent nearby. And so like he was joking with a friend of his, how I was like one of his first weddings and stuff. So yeah. And I mean, I I look back at those photos and 
I mean, to be honest, for 2007, like they're not actually that bad. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And for someone that literally has no idea what they're doing, uh, I think the problem, and this is like off topic too, but the problem was when I started getting too many tools at my disposal and too many editing things, that's when things got bad. Right. Yep. So at the beginning, I just had, I was editing things in iPhoto, like the default program on a Mac. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once I got Photoshop and people were like, oh, you should try textures and stuff. That's when things got bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When I had, when I didn't have the reins of, uh, you know, the anchor point of only being able to do so much with a bad editing program. Mm-hmm. You know, we're kind of the same, but with like more tools. So the more filmmaking tools that we had at our disposal, the kind of more constraint we felt that we needed to be or could be. Yeah, you start mm. off with what you need and you start filming and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, buy this new piece of equipment, this new piece, this thing. And now all of a sudden you're taking far too much gear. It's slowing you down. Yeah. You're missing moments. Mm. And then you get to a point where you realize... Actually, if I just have one camera, one or two lenses, I can run around and capture as much as possible mm. in a way more creative way. And mm-hmm. yeah, you just you have to get through some phases like that, whether it's too much editing or too much equipment. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. One of the first one of the things that I think was was best for my own sort of personal growth and creativity was when I sold my 24 to 70 for just a 35 and I sold my 70 to 200 for an 85. Yeah. And I think for about six or seven years, those were the only lenses I really used. I had a backup set of lenses and stuff, but um, I basically just shot 35, 85 for probably seven or eight years. Um, And just knowing those like the back of my hand and not having to have all these extra options, those limitations definitely made me figure out creative ways to make things work. And um, yeah, it was a super helpful thing for me for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh, that's yeah. cool. That's cool. Uh, I love your message to do with nostalgia and legacy. And that comes <clears> through a, a lot in the way that you write about your images and stuff. So uh, you want to talk us through your mindset when you approach a wedding with that in mind? Like obviously you've mentioned the, the lack of gear helps you. Does that also affect the way that you approach weddings as well? Yeah. Um, I think just being, um, I don't know that I'm trying to figure out a way to distill it down, but, uh, (laughs) without sounding cheesy, I guess, but sort of like the more that I grow as a human, the more that I realize what matters and doesn't matter in life as much. And so Mm -hmm. through these different stages of me being a human and like living in that and experiencing new things, you know, like when I was 21 and photographed weddings, like if something didn't look cool, because that's what I wanted, I wanted stuff that was visually cool and interesting and stuff. And like, I knew there were things that were important in the back of my mind, but you know, if I didn't like the centerpieces or I didn't like a piece of decor, like I wouldn't even photograph it because my 21 year old perspective as a guy photographing weddings was terrible because (laughs) I just, it was selfish in that way. Right. Um, and then after I got married, you know, it, it became a little bit more real to me and I went, Oh man, that, that photo of, you know, uh, my wife walking down the aisle with her dad, like that has significance to me now. And I can see that image having more significance to other people. So then I would like, be able to put myself in the perspective of other people when, you know, someone else is walking down the aisle, then I can think of how it's actually going to impact them later on. Um, you know, when they're viewing those same photos, because I've had those photos to view myself in my own life. 
Um, and then like my grandma passed away, um, you know, and I remember the wedding directly after that wedding, man, I took probably 15 portraits of the grandma because I'm going in my mind, like how important are these to this couple? Like, because, you know, someday they're not going to have this person in their lives. Yeah. Um, and then same thing with, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that I knew intellectually too. So before I had a kid, I remember, uh, you know, there's times where like a parent would be giving a speech to a kid or, you know, their, you know, son or daughter who was getting married. Um, and I would intellectually be thinking, yes, this is like super important. This is like an amazing moment. Um, I, I could understand it all intellectually and think it all through. Um, but then when I had a kid and that stuff happens, like I would start crying because I could put myself in those perspectives and in those places. Um, and so it just became one of those things that became really, really real to me. And there's so many things throughout sort of a wedding day, um, with just people coming in, um, friends and family and stuff like that, that probably are never all going to be in the same place at the same time. Um, and as someone who's just, I don't know, been in the industry and I've been caught up at times of like trying to make images that would look cool to other videographers or photographers or people in the industry or things that would look good on a blog or something like that. Mm. Um, I realized that at times if I was focusing on making good images that would get published in a magazine, then oftentimes that would make me miss other images because I wouldn't be in that mindset or in that perspective to be focusing on what I, I consider matters most in those things. Yeah. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, throughout all that stuff, I just kind of like, and and constantly on a process of going like, okay, what is like most meaningful? What's the thing that here that is going to be most impactful long-term? Um, so it's kind of like weird as it sounds, I'm trying to think of not only what's happening in that exact moment and like how they're going to view that photo in a month when they get the photos back. But I also want to think of what they're going to view that photo in five years and in 10 years and when their kids possibly see it someday and when their grandkids see it someday um, and try to think through like, you know, when someone close to them passes away, like how beautiful and meaningful will those photographs of them interacting with their loved ones be and um, all that kind of stuff. So I've just had a big sort of perspective shift in that specifically from going, no, I really want to like have all this stuff featured and I want to like have uh, my work be well known and I want to win awards and that kind of thing to I want to focus my attention on photographs that I don't even think my clients realize will be incredibly impactful and meaningful to them at the time. Yeah. Uh, but in 20, 30 years, they're going to be so thankful they had them. Right. Uh, yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. A what? couple of years ago, actually one of my neighbors, I think they're, they were celebrating their 60th wedding anniversary. I think it was, <laughs> which is ridiculous. That is amazing. And they yeah. had a videographer at their wedding all the like way back then they got the film uh, digitized by yeah. someone but it was on a memory stick and they didn't know how to view that so i helped them out put it on the computer <laughs> took it down and showed them and watching them watch their wedding film that they hadn't seen for years and years and all those memories and i mean the film technically it was a bit of a joke because it was people walking into the church <laughs> they couldn't film yeah. in the church so uh, it was people walking in yeah. people walking out and then a couple of shots at the reception venue and that was it like four minutes of just that but just them watching them see their friends and family back then when they were that age it was amazing to see yeah. them just reflect and all those memories come flooding back yeah, yeah. No, absolutely 
on on our last episodes um, of Perspective, we were talking to uh, another photographer who very much captures those emotions, those um, those moments that yeah you might not think are like that impressive, but obviously will mean a lot to people. Um, obviously, the way that you're talking, you have a very similar mindset. Um, I remember shooting a wedding. Uh, now I it was a few years back. Lisa and Chris Craig. When was that? Oh, that was about five years ago. Yeah, about five years at ago. Least. Hmm. Since since shooting their wedding, um, Chris had actually passed away from a, a heart defect, um, and hmm. I had actually kept in contact for, uh, with Lisa uh, through Facebook, and uh, she I asked her, and she gave me the opportunity to speak to her about you know the importance of having a wedding video for those moments, and she had actually she said something that was really interesting. She she purchased from us uh like all all the raw footage and uh she said yeah. um all all the um all the random clips that we didn't put in mm. the film she actually loves because you get to hear his voice yeah you hear him goofing about and yeah stuff, himself. Oh, totally yeah stuff that at the time i didn't think would be that important well it, just because i was young i was like you you know didn't put these things in the film but i'm so glad that she had those raw moments. Yeah. Um, and since then, yeah, uh, what a lesson that was. And, you know, the importance of these moments is, is, is crazy. That's the wisdom of age, I suppose. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just, it's, it's crazy. I mean, I don't know if you guys do this, but you know, there's like voicemails on my phone that are just simple things from like my parents or my wife or whatever that like aren't even significant, but like, I'm never going to delete them off there in the morbid off chance that they, something ever happens to them because I want to have their voice. And so same thing with that. And like, I recently started a YouTube channel um, and I just talk about photography gear and it's like, it's nothing serious uh, at all. But like one of the small little percentages of the reason I did it was because I was thinking, man, like if anything ever happened to me, like I want my son to know, like be able to remember his dad, like what he sounded like and everything like that. And even if I'm just talking about cameras, um, you know, that I've, you know, I think that would be just incredibly meaningful and important uh, to someone like that. So yeah, it's crazy how those little interactions and stuff like that uh, that you don't even think are important or whatever can have incredible significance. Mm-hmm. And it just it just goes to show, like when you are hired by a couple and they're they're right at the start of their family life, they haven't gone through all these <laughs> moments. One, it's just you're you're so honored to be a part of that, but also to be a part of their history and you know you'll be yeah. capturing something that they will be looking at 50 years from now yeah. so when it comes to on on a wedding day or an elopement and it comes to like the couple session how does how does this of nostalgia and longevity of an image affect the way or what you're looking for when you're sort of posing or creating this sort of scene obviously like light and composition and stuff but does do you have in your head that this is going to be an image that's going to last forever? Does that affect what you're looking for? Sure. So um, there's a few things that I do. And I think it's it's funny because it's so counter to what my brain wants me to do. Um, <coughs> excuse me. But like the first thing that I try to do with my couples is just take like standard photos of them, like hugging, smiling, looking at the camera, you know, just because... I feel like so many times I've at weddings just got so caught up in like making something cool and running out and trying a new lens and doing all this stuff that I forget to do some of the most simple 
things, you right. know, and sometimes just the photos of someone like looking, smiling directly at the camera, then the viewer will see them smiling and whatever directly at them um, in the future. So doing stuff like that. And then um, I shifted away a few years ago um, from just even using, like I used to have a tilt shift lens and there's nothing wrong with things like that, but I even try to think down to like what my focal lengths are um, in terms of what is most kind of classic and easiest to view um, and stuff like that, because I want to limit distractions uh, in my images specifically so that the viewer, whoever that person is, uh, can most easily see and feel like what I want them to see and feel. Right. Um, and so just gear wise and stuff like that, I, I photograph with a lot with like a 50 millimeter um, and which is a total shift for me from my previous stuff. But then also kind of the way that I try to um, interact with my couples and stuff like that, I'm like not super hands on. So I'm not going through and telling them like, okay, put your hand here and then do this and then do that. Like, because for me, a big part of it, uh, if I can have any control, right? Like sometimes you're just, you only have 10 minutes with a couple and you just have to knock some stuff out. But, um, if at all possible, my goal is to make them feel as relaxed and in the moment as possible. Um, and so I find that trying to give them like small direction and small prompts and stuff like that, um, that will hopefully naturally bring out how they would normally interact with each other anyway, instead of me coming in with pre planned poses and, and things like that, um, ends up just getting like almost every email that I get from a potential client, just like, Hey, we love how like natural and free flowing and like, you know, it doesn't look like really posed your yeah. couples are. Mm-hmm. Um, and a big part of that for me at least is trying not to like overpose them and make things into a production. Um, and I also try to think of like times during the day when it would be most helpful for us to go get portraits, like after the ceremony if possible. And, um, a lot of the photos, if anybody's followed my work for a while, like you've probably seen photos where like the couple's really, really small and like there's this big environment and landscape around them. And there's like, part of that is because like, I want to capture the feel of everything. Um, but another part of that is I, I want them to like take a walk by themselves and be able to relax and talk amongst themselves without worrying about what they're saying around me or other people or whatever, because oftentimes those, you know, few minutes where they get to go way ahead of me or whatever are the only time during the day that they actually get to spend just the two of them. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And so it's sort of like a dual thing that like helps me get like a really cool, big, expansive thing, but then also helps them sort of set the mood with all that stuff together. Um, So a lot of the photos that I take with that kind of thing in mind are me purposely trying to like get them away from me a little bit so that they can interact and um, hopefully calm each other's nerves if there are nerves and um, yeah, all that kind of stuff. Because like my thing that I always tell my clients and potential clients and stuff is that the only thing that I can do is hopefully make you remember exactly how you felt in those moments. And so if I am directing and posing you and making you feel like you're some sort of production robot, then you're going to look back at those photos and there's a chance that you're going to remember feeling like some production robot. Um, Mm. And that's obviously the last thing I want you guys to be feeling when you're seeing the work that I'm creating for you or with you, I guess. Yeah. And also when they see that sort of big expansive landscape, in years to come, it'll take them back in their head to that place as well, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, especially, I mean, you guys have 
amazing landscapes nearby and stuff like that yep. too. Oh, yeah. um, but a lot of my couples are specifically doing that too, going to a place so they can experience something like that. So um, having that sense of place and that's another thing specifically that my couples often tell me is a reason that drew me to drew them to my work is that I capture their space really well. Yeah. Um, so um, and that's actually something that I don't think a lot of photographers do well is think in terms of storytelling like a filmmaker would in terms of establishing shots and um, transitional images and, and things like that. And so that's something that I try to do a lot is just, you know, think through all that stuff so that someone can be sort of like immersed in that story when they look through a slideshow or a blog post or whatever, mm-hmm. so that all those elements can kind of like work together to help them remember how all that stuff felt. Yeah. No, absolutely. We we have a lot of American couples coming over here to go to like Sky and stuff. And it's always nice when you're able yeah. to take them to a bit of the island that's maybe a little bit more quiet. And, it, you, you know, you, in talking to them, it fe- they, they start to view it like their spot, you know? And I love, mm. I love yeah. that idea yeah. that when we're capturing stuff on, say, the drone for, you know, wh- whatever the landscape is that we shoot the bit that they're getting married at. Because it is their spot yeah. to them. I love that. Yeah. Do you, do you ever like um, change the way you're shooting, like chasing light or shapes or does any of that come into mind? Does that ever override any aspect of nostalgia for you? Or do, do you ever just go, okay, let's just go a bit crazy sometimes? Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, I think I think I just sort of have like anchor points, I guess that like keep me from swaying too much mm-hmm. from one side to the other. Um, and so there's definitely times where like, you know, I'll, I'll try something that's like completely out of my style or whatever. And sometimes it's really cool. And sometimes a couple really likes it, but then uh, sometimes within the context of the rest of their wedding or the, that series of images, sometimes I'll just realize it doesn't fit in that context. And so I'll remove it from not the images I deliver to them, uh, but sometimes it'll be something that like, this is really cool and you'll get this photo or whatever, but it might not make it in the slideshow or whatever, because it might throw that whole feeling off too far. Right. Um, yeah. But yeah, I also like, I, I use a lot of film in my work too, and I have a ton of different film cameras. And so usually I try to kind of pair the right film cameras to the right kind of job too. So a lot of it is me experimenting with like old expired film or like, cameras from the sixties or even like the forties or Mm. whatever. Um, and so that's kind of like where a lot of that extra stuff kind of comes into play because the rest of my gear and everything like that is pretty, I don't know, standard or traditional or whatever. Um, and then there's other things that I can kind of use to play with that whole thing, you know? Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. I have to ask, do you, do you work with many videographers over, over where you are? Um, yeah. So I, I mean, it definitely isn't something that's at every wedding. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, my problem is I think because of the style of wedding that I photograph, um, oftentimes it's like a lot smaller and um, oftentimes I'm, I'm trying to figure out a way to diplomatically say this. A lot of times I've taken up their entire budget for all things visual. Yeah. Um, okay. And so usually that's what happens on like, to be honest. And so, I, I do find that there's obviously some couples like they, they hired um, like white and reverie that couple last year to, you know, we did that wedding in the snow and that was like incredible. Cause I love those guys. <laughs> um, but usually what happens is they don't usually have 
my couples at least don't have the budget to specifically hire like a high end photographer and a high end videographer. Yeah. Um, so I do end up having more times than not someone who's like a friend from college or <laughs> someone they hired on Craigslist or Ooh. Facebook marketplace or something silly. Yeah. What's that um, like? And then, Oh, it's a nightmare <laughs> <laughs> because like, cause I mean, so for, I don't know for you guys, your video crew and stuff like that. Like obviously you guys would have some sort of like good way of going about everything. Uh, but usually what happens to me is that my couples will end up hiring somebody and I try to give them as much information about not doing this as possible. But oftentimes what will happen is they'll hire somebody that like maybe works for the local like uh, TV station or works in commercial work or something like that. And so what happens is they are just used to not covering events as they unfold. They're covering, Mm. they're used to doing film stuff on sets and things that are really pre-planned. And so they have to like, set up their stuff for a long time and they're not used to that hustle and bustle of a wedding day. Oh yeah. Um, and so they'll like, you know, they, they treat, uh, the people in a wedding day like the talent. And so, you know, they'll have like mom will come in and see your daughter and start crying and they'll be like, Oh, that's so beautiful. Do you think he can go stand over here? And it completely like takes the people in the scene (laughs) out of the moment. And then they might get a really cool shot of that happening, but it's like completely posed and uh, scripted now. Um, And so those are the things that I, I just like my brain just like, in, in all honesty, my brain just starts to shut down because I'm like, I can't handle this. Like you've ruined everything for me. <laughs> um, and yeah. so as much as possible, like I try to obviously, you know, meet with videographers beforehand and um, stuff like that. And there are obviously tons of videographers that I work with that are amazing and do a great job. Um, but those are obviously just some of my, my nightmares and horror, horror stories. stories. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you said we have a better way of doing things. You know, sometimes I'll just sit on a photographer. That's fine. It's not exactly graceful. <laughs> I probably shouldn't be admitting this on, on the podcast. Whatever works. Yeah. 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 But I do, I do find that that relationship between whoever the visual creatives are um, and their style and their viewpoint and the way they go about doing things is so incredibly important. Um, and I think most couples just don't think of it that way. Mm. Um, they're often just thinking like, Oh, I like this person's like visual style or whatever, but they don't realize that maybe that person's visual style is completely contrary to how the other person works and how they interact with people and how they like to document interactions and document Mm. different things. Um, and so recently, especially within the last few years, I've been really trying to like educate my couples on like, this is exactly how I work. And so if you hire somebody to do video stuff or whatever, like they're going to have to do it in a similar enough way mm-hmm. that we're not like stepping on each other's toes and like messing up things for the other person. Yep. Um, and obviously like I'm not trying to be prideful or anything like that, but I just want the end product for the videographer and for myself mm-hmm. to be as good as possible for that couple. Um, and I find that, you know, the more that styles differ in that way, um, just the harder it is for both of us to work with each other. Cause we're both looking for different things and, mm-hmm. yeah. um, you know what I mean? Oh yeah. hundred yeah, percent. Yeah. When, when all the sort of visual creatives on a, on a wedding 
are on the same page stylistically and approach wise it just makes such a difference to like even just the flow of the day and you know you're oh, all absolutely. getting the best stuff for the couple mm. on that day it's it's great can i play devil's ag- advocate just for a wee bit so yeah, please do uh, what's he gonna say we were <laughs> oh no this is greg's it nervous uh we were speaking about um uh what was it i can't even remember who the photographer is it might have been Susie lee greg um where the couple had hired us and our style is kind of a bit more darker and a little a little bit more tonally you know, alternative than your average wedding video um, but yeah. their photographer was very kind of light and airy style, which at the time, yeah. light and airy, at yeah. the time we thought, sure. at the time we thought was kind of an interesting choice. Um, yeah. <laughs> but in actual fact, when, when people work with us, we're not dark and alternative. Yeah. We're, so I think the difference there is stylistically the final products mm, are quite different, yeah. but approach wise on mm-hmm. the day, yeah. we were all fairly similar. So that's so, why it worked, I so, think. So sometimes it could be maybe quite yeah, hard to yeah. tell who's going to work well with each other because, well, I think we work with well with everyone. But, yeah, you know. Yeah, oh, for sure. No, and I think I think that's, uh, I guess, what I didn't communicate very well is in, in that exact scenario, that's what I mean is like your guys' approach. Mm, yeah. As long as the, the approach is similar, that is way more important. I mean, I wouldn't want to be someone that came away with two visually different looking products. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I would probably hire someone that had really <laughs> similar perspectives in that as yeah. well. But for me at the end of the day to make the best work that I can make and same thing with any other person I'm working with, as long as our approach is really similar, like that's going to yield the best outcome for everybody. Um, if you're kind of pairing people who work similarly, not necessarily whose work is similar, uh, but it's actually more important, uh, yeah, to approach things similarly and and all that stuff for sure. Mm. Absolutely. It's just when you were saying that, I was like, you know what, that, because <laughs> we found that so so strange because we, we would be the same if we were to have an event probably tonally we'd want you know the content from it to be kind of similar but in this mm-hmm. case it was they were totally different and yeah. you know and the, the couple mentioned that as well they're yeah. like we want them to be sort of unique in their own sort of way yeah yeah it's interesting because maybe, maybe they do just capture different that's vibes awesome. of the day and it's, it's yeah. kind of cool but, I mean that was one couple that was one couple quite a few yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure <laughs> Um, but so you've mentioned obviously the importance of documenting these legacies for people, and obviously you won't have heard this, but on the last episode that I bring up again, sorry, um, I, I bring I, <laughs> I, I bring up the old adage of the cobbler's children have no shoes. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard that mm. phrase before. Yeah. Um, so I want to know how do you capture your own legacy? What's important to you? Yeah. No, it's actually super important to me. So um, I actually always, I'm like known even among photography circles. Like I was talking to a friend the other day and he's like, yeah, you're the guy that just always has a camera on him. (laughs) Um, And so I do that. Like I carry around a film point and shoot camera with me almost every day. Like there's one in arm's reach of me right now. Yeah. because I just think that stuff is like super important. Um, and for me, documenting that stuff on film is enough of a different process from my regular digital workflow and everything like that, that I'm able to kind of compartmentalize and separate those things out mm-hmm. um, enough. But like one of the just simplest things is I carry around like a wide angle film point and shoot camera that has the option to put like the date on there. Yeah. Um and so especially right now through all this like sort of self quarantine and all that kind of stuff, it's been, that's been my way of sort of like documenting this kind of 
crazy time in our lives. Um, and as silly as it is, the hardest thing for me is like, I have thousands of photos of my kid and hundreds of photos of my wife. Um, and probably like 10 photos of all of us, yes. <laughs> you know? So that's the hardest part for sure. Um, but I recently bought like a different point and shoot film camera that can focus a little bit closer and has a little bit wider lens. Mm. Um, and so now I'm just like, you know, selfie mode on this little <laughs> film camera. Yeah. Um, and so I have a ton of photos now of like me and my kid just like laughing together or whatever. And like, you know, my family and I went to Disneyland recently and I probably have 10 photos of us just like, in line, like, you know, put the camera out as far as I can, click the button, like direct flash, you know, it looks better because it's on film than an iPhone, but super important because I want to document my own life. Well, maybe not professionally and everything like that, but, um, yeah, I have like an abundance of, of personal photographs that, um, I'm always, I'm constantly taking. With Jack was designed from the ground up and is tailored specifically for creatives. Whether you provide a service like design, development or photography or offer advice to clients, With Jack is for you. It's focused on creatives. Insurance shouldn't be complicated, so With Jack has made every step easy. You'll deal with one form and talk to one Jack as you sign up, get covered and move on with your day. With Jack is all about bespoke insurance for creatives. Simple. That doesn't mean more forms or faff, it means less. It's not about endless features and stale service. It's about one solid policy and the personal touch. Bye-bye, unnecessary fuss. Hello, creative-friendly insurance. Be a confident creative. You've got something written down that says uh, the most meaningful photos aren't always impressive. The most mm. impressive photos aren't always meaningful. So I'm guessing yeah. it doesn't matter how professional or, or lack of professional that you say your image are, they're still going to mean so much to you, you know, 10, 20 years down the line, you know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like, I mean, uh, we forgot to do like, I don't know if you guys do Christmas cards in the UK, but like yeah. we, you know, most people put their faces on a card and send them out for Christmas time and stuff like that. And we actually forgot to do that this year. Um, but like all of the photos that we put out there and like a lot of the times, like, you know, profile pictures on Facebook and stuff are usually just iPhone photos. Like they're mm. not made with anything like amazing. Um, and so at the, every year, like on my son's birthday, I go through the last year's worth of photos, both like film and iPhone and everything like that. And just make a bunch of little four by six prints. Nice. Um, and the vast majority of those like aren't really, really cool. They're not like really it's technically perfect or anything like that. But those photographs are the most meaningful photographs that I take uh, in a year. And I take hundreds of thousands <laughs> and they are probably the least technically proficient photos I take, but they are to me the most meaningful. Um, and so, yeah, and that, that completely carries over into like my work in going like I still, I deliver technically imperfect photos to my clients all the time, as long as the content within them is like, meaningful and, um, something that I would want. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like I'm, I'm just like all about that and sort of getting over the ego of like, this has to be perfection. Um, because I mean, similar when you guys were talking about how you had delivered all that raw footage. Yep. Um, I know a ton of people that would never do that in a million years because yeah. they would be, I don't know, too worried about people seeing, uh, like, you know, kind of how the meal got made or, uh, <laughs> however the, the sausage is made or whatever, <laughs> uh, you know, because it's, it can be embarrassing, but I actually recently had a similar thing. I just uploaded all of, uh, 
just like the raw JPEGs uh, of a wedding because this couple was like looking for some people and whatever. And I was like, yeah, sure. I mean, here you go. Like here's all 5,000 photos we took at this like 12 hour wedding with multiple shooters and stuff like that. Um, because yeah, who knows what thing might be really, really meaningful to you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I could have overlooked because I don't have that like depth of relationship with every single person there. I have no idea who 99% of people are at a wedding. And so I don't know who is meaningful to you. And yeah. so I'm trying to capture mm-hmm. everything as if I do, but it's just, you know, logistically impossible. <laughs> yeah. I love the the passion that comes through when you talk about the sort of documenting your life and like when I watch some of your YouTube videos, the genuine passion for like film photography in particular, where where does that passion come from? Um I mean, so so part of it, part of the reason why I shoot a lot on film is I mean, so growing up, like my dad and my uncle used to be really, and my, well, both my uncles used to be really, really into photography. Um, and then oddly enough, that whole thing, and I've actually never put it together now until now that I'm talking to you guys about this. And we just talked about me documenting my own life. Uh, but oddly enough, their big passions for photography all sort of died around the time that they had kids. Right. Um, oh, that's and so like behind... Yeah. I mean, like, so I grew up like, I mean, it's not like we didn't have any photos of us, like when we were growing up, but like, you know, they liked, they loved photography in that they would just like take cameras around to their friends gatherings or try to make art or whatever. And then, you know, kids happen and life gets harder and Mm. you don't have as much free time. So like that, like sort of side project passion can kind of die out. And like, I totally understand that. Um, but I grew up and I actually have the cameras right here in my office behind me. Like my uncle, my uncle had a, a Hasselblad that I always heard about from my dad. Like, Oh, your uncle Dan has this Hasselblad. So <laughs> cool. It's like the, the camera that like NASA sent to the moon, yeah. all this stuff. Um, and my dad had this old Nikon F2 that, you know, he obviously photographed some of my childhood on and stuff like that. And now I have actually both of those cameras, um, as well. And then, um, sort of as, so I kind of grew up knowing about those cameras and having them and, um, got to use them a little bit when I first started in 2007, but then as film sort of tanked after the big digital rush and everything like that Mm -hmm. in like the, you know, 2000, I guess seven through, I don't know, 2015 or so, like film just took like such a tank. Um, and then I was realizing that all those same, tones and feelings and stuff like that, that we were trying to replicate with presets and everything like that. were just like so different. Um, and photographing with those cameras was such a different experience and the images that you got out of them were so just like nostalgic. Um, and so, and the process of, you know, sending, you know, shooting some roles and then mailing them out to somewhere and then waiting a week and then getting them back was so different from, um, everything that I was doing digitally. Um, that I just decided like, I really don't want this thing to die. It's something that's really cool. And like, if I'm not shooting film, I'm contributing to it going away. Mm-hmm. Um, so a big part of me is just kind of going like, I want to advocate for people shooting film because it's a medium that has like personal significance and meaning to me um, just because of all that kind of stuff. But then if I'm not, you know, contributing to it, staying alive, I'm contributing to it dying. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's definitely a big part of it. Um, and then also, yeah, just the idea that, um, you know, I, I want to be passionate about photography. And so if I, you know, it takes me buying a bunch of random film cameras and stuff like that to 
make sure that my life personally is documented well, um, then so be it for sure. Yeah, definitely. Well, you mentioned your, your, well, you mentioned presets. Obviously we know (laughs) that you create your own presets. (laughs) Are you, are you trying to emulate film? Is that, what's your purpose with these presets that you've created? Obviously other than being a nice, you know, side hustle (laughs) for you, obviously. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, so so sort of the background with that was that I had always um, just used other people's presets. And then um, for whatever reason, like the way that my brain kind of sees an image or whatever was always just different from any preset that was out there. And so, uh, you know, I would just use, you know, Visco or I use Mastin Labs for a little bit and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I would just end up tweaking and tweaking and tweaking. Um, and then someone, you know, people, because I'm just like in the photography industry and um, talking to people all the time and stuff like that. And so people were always asking me like, okay, what, like what preset are you using? And I would be like, well, I'm using this preset from this place, but then I tweak this thing and I tweak this and that and that and like, and I still have to do this. And there's something else I can't get out of here. And so it was just one of those things where there was just so many inconsistencies from what I actually wanted my work to be like. Um, and I had people that were constantly being like, well, they're far enough away from these other presets that are, you know, actually bought that like, can you just sell me that preset? And I was like, Oh no, like I can't, I'm not going to do that. Like I know people actually do do that, but it just, there's no way with any sense of integrity that I could have done that. So, um, yeah. So I, I decided a few years ago that like, okay, if I'm going to actually sell these and make my own that I need to do it sort of with integrity. So I deleted every single preset off of my computers and just, so all I had in Lightroom was just a blank set of zeros on every single slider and then went, okay, if I can do this um, and make something that I'm proud of, I need to do it from scratch. So I know every single bit of what I'm tweaking, why it's interacting this way and everything like that. So I literally just built them from scratch. And then I, I wouldn't say that I am trying to emulate film necessarily, but obviously that has a big sort of background for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's something that's clearly really inspirational because I shoot it and I will shoot film alongside my presets and um, they definitely don't like match 100% uh, across the board because that's just impossible. Um, But they definitely have very similar tones and characteristics and stuff. But um, one thing that's always been sort of frustrating for me personally is people are like, Oh, this is like, this is the portrait 400 preset or whatever. And then I'll shoot, I'll shoot portrait 400. I shot like thousands of rolls and I'll be like, this looks nothing like how I shoot portrait 400, but it's also all that stuff goes into the fact that like, you know, they're made for how whoever made those presets, it's how that they photograph things and it's how they expose and mm-hmm. all that stuff. So if you expose things differently, um, you know, things aren't, are just not going to look right. So anyway, that's kind of like how I made them and why I made them and everything like that. And then film is definitely not something I'm trying to emulate, but it's definitely an anchor point of like, I don't want to sway or stray too far from these kind of tones and stuff like that. Because again, that's something I feel like will be really timeless. And um, I never want my couples or clients to come back or not come back, but in 10 years think like, this is pretty (laughs) janky processing. I want them to look at their clothes or how they styled their hair or how they styled something and be like, on that, not on the thing that I produced for them. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, that's cool. I suppose when I asked the question, I, I, I did say emulate, I suppose that does have a bad connotation emulation kind yeah. of maybe effect. I probably should have said honor, 
know, are you trying to honor a film? Yeah, of course, like subconsciously, if you love the look of film, that's mm. going to come through in the mm. way you develop things, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So yeah. That sort of maybe leads on to like what, so sometimes you're shooting a wee bit of film on a wedding, but what, what other gear is in your camera bag then? There's definitely a 15 yeah, millimeter. So- <laughs> not anymore actually not anymore. I sold that oh, thing. yeah i know wah, wah. but hey yeah that that produced one of the most like viral photos for me so i probably should have it in there <laughs> um yeah so i i use uh leica cameras so i'm one of the few crazy people out there that that shoots with these little compact rangefinder cameras that take the same uh, lens mount system that they made in like the late fifties. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. So I can shoot any lens from like the fifties on, I guess a lot of people can do that now with adapting lenses, but um, yeah, they're these tiny little mirrorless cameras that um, I don't actually see through the lens. I see through this like viewfinder that um, yeah, I just see the full range of depth of field. And so it helps me sort of with composition and the way that I shoot um it also allows me to focus better because this rangefinder system, which most people hate and think is really <laughs> archaic, which it is for whatever reason, just works really well with me. Um, and yeah, and they also like, I feel like those cameras just look classic and uh, they're sort of like disarming to my subjects right. uh, because I'm like a tall, I, I'm like over six feet tall, uh, not a small person. I have a beard, like, uh, generally I'm not like the most disarming face in the world. <laughs> um, and so if I'm coming in there with like a camera with a battery grip and this huge zoom lens and stuff like that, like it's just intimidating to anybody that I'm taking a photo of. Yep. But if I'm coming in with these like small cameras that look like film cameras, um, that, you know, I just look like they're like weird art friend from college or something. Um, <laughs> then it just gives a completely like different feel and people are way less likely to, I don't know, be turned away by it or whatever, because the thing that I'm using to photograph is so small, um, which is oddly the exact opposite thing that I used to. I used to try to come in with like big gear because I wanted people to take me seriously. Yeah. And now I actually want people to take me less, less seriously <laughs> <laughs> on a day. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then I have like a, a 21 millimeter, a 28 millimeter, a 35, a 50, and a 90 is like my kit that I keep around, but I usually stick with either a 28 or a 35 and a 50. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we've got a lot of listeners who are kind of fairly new to the industry. They probably will never have picked up a film camera in their life. <laughs> so the idea yeah. of manual focusing must be very daunting <laughs> sounding. Do you want to run us through how you're able to focus with these kind of systems because I'm sure everyone will be using autofocus and that's kind of a big thing nowadays. Yeah. 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 Oh, for sure. So yeah, you just, I, I always think of it this way, like with film, you're taking a little bit more time. You're not shooting eight frames a second or whatever. Um, you're not just like mashing on the shutter and you got to think that every photograph until, I don't know, the last like few years, was always, excuse me, photographed on these like slower film cameras. So all these iconic images from the thirties till, I don't know, the mid eighties or so, um, were all taken like one photo at a time that you had to like adjust and like crank the shutter or the crank the film, advance it. Um, and so it's just a different mindset, excuse me. And knowing that, um, 
yeah, it can just put you in a different perspective of going like, here, I can nail this this way. Uh, but then also the way that these rangefinder cameras work specifically for the vast majority of the population who has never used one, um, is it basically has a um, little window and then another window. You look through this window that has lines around the edge of the frame that shows you what your photo is going to look like in terms of where it will be in the viewing. Mm. Um, and then it has these two little patches and it's almost like a game. Like you have to line <laughs> the two. It, like, I mean, honestly, if you think of it like a game, like it makes it easier. Mm. Um, so the way you get something in focus with that system is if you take those two things and you line the two sort of like superimposed images up over each other, mm. if those two things are lined up, like your images in focus, um, which is such a weird, like archaic way of doing things. Uh, but for whatever reason that like completely works for me because I know that it's a manual mechanical process that as long as everything is working, lining those two things up means that I know it's in focus. Um, and with a lot of other cameras up until this last little batch of like, you know, the Sony a nines and the Canon EOS R's and that kind of stuff. Like I'd always found that autofocus was mostly pretty unreliable. Mm, yeah. <laughs> uh, and so having something that I could personally be in control of, and I know for a fact it's going to be in focus as long as I'm doing my part. Um, and I'm not relying on the camera to mess it up for me. Like just was one of those things that worked really well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you don't allow yourself to feel pressure because you're taking that little bit of time. I mean, so it's, I mean, it's like anything is that, um, yeah, when I'm, when I'm shooting film, I'm specifically doing it on moments that there's not a lot of crazy movement or, or whatever. And I do have like, uh, you know, D like not DSLRs, but like, uh, autofocus, like single lens reflex cameras that are made from Canon and stuff like that. So if I need to photograph an entire wedding on film, like I can do that with reliable autofocus and stuff like that. But um, generally with the rangefinder system, that's what I use even for my digital work. So all my digital stuff is also all manual focus. Um, and it's just one of those things where it's just the more you do it, the like practice makes perfect. Right. So yeah. Um, and I found that, you know, when you're photographing weddings, uh, you can really, 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 really easily um, kind of like predetermine how movement is going to happen. It's all really, you know, people are like walking down an aisle or walking out of an aisle or walking into a reception venue. There's not a lot of times where something completely unexpected is going to happen. Yeah. yeah. Um, and most of the time people are walking at a consistent rate. So if I'm manually focusing and I get focus, if I move that at a consistent rate around the lens, like they're going to continue to be in focus, right? As long as I'm matching how they're moving. Yeah. Um, so it's just one of those things where you just have to practice a ton. Um, and if you do, then you can get it to work out. Mm. Man, photographing kids at weddings must be challenging. Those guys never stop moving. My God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the way that happens is most of the time the kids are showing up for me, at least at the reception. Um, and I photograph receptions with like direct flash at F8. And so that part's really, really easy to mm. kind of get. Um, but then also I'm just sort of used to it. So, and I have a kid who runs around a lot, so I get a lot of yeah. practice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If MDs, I know, like I watched your YouTube video on your gear setup. So if anyone's listening mm. and is wanting to find out more about Benji's uh, setup, then we'll put a link to that video in the show notes. Yeah, definitely. Definitely uh -huh. go and subscribe. Thanks. <laughs> 
but I, ha- I have to ask when when you show up to these weddings and you've got these cameras that are smaller and like like the guests who might have even more expensive, bigger cameras, do they ever look down on you? Do they ever think, oh, this guy's not very professional? He's shooting with these old cameras. Um, I So I used to worry about that a lot, mm-hmm. um, especially on the early, early days when, um, you know, I was maybe shooting uh, the 5D Mark II and the 5D Mark III had just come out or I was shooting with like the mid-range 50 millimeter and then guests would show up with like the brand new 50 or whatever. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I would get, and I I personally photograph a lot of weddings for other photographers. So like the, the photographers, the people getting married themselves are themselves photographers. Mm. Um, And so there's a ton of times where I'd show up to a wedding like that and they would have like the nice like Canon L series version of the lens I would have. <laughs> and they'd be like, Hey, I mean, no pressure, but like, if you want to borrow the nicer lenses, you can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so especially early on, uh, you know, I, I don't know, seven, eight years ago, I would totally just borrow the lenses from the couples who I was photographing. Mm. Um, but I don't know. I, I always just think like the couple like always had hired me for a reason. And um, if the work that I was currently putting out on whatever gear I was putting out, like is good enough, then for sure I'm fine. Um, and yeah, I mean, early on, especially I was more nervous about that, but now like, I don't know, I, I haven't had anybody that I, I, I even put like stickers over like the Leica logo and the stuff for my cameras. Cause I actually don't want people to know or focus on what I'm using and the yeah, gear uh-huh. I'm using. I just want people to go, Oh, he's like holding this black box. That's going to take our photo. Cool. Like easy. I just want it to be something that's not even like an issue. Mm. Um, so yeah, I haven't, unless people are like just photography nerds and they want to ask me about it. Like I usually don't even get people asking. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So it's not something I'm worried about at least. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good. And then I think that's, that's how it should be to be honest. Cause you just got to do what you got to do. It's your vision. Even though it's their wedding, obviously, but um, that's what they are hiring you for is your view. So, yeah. Like I've said before, we've also got uh, a few listeners who are obviously newer to the game. Uh, and you mentioned on your blog um, that you see a lot of uh, photographers mm-hmm. and even videographers that post daily about them missing parts of their wedding or losing <laughs> a particular shoot. So, and, and I really wanted to focus on this because we were we were at way up north last year and a photographer yeah. was really focusing on, you know, these kind of newer level photographers and the importance of file management. Yeah, Do you want to run stuff like that. And, and workflow? Do you want to run us through um, your thoughts on workflow for the, the newer listeners out there or even the yeah, older abs- who don't even think about it? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean... So, and that is the thing, like, so uh, when I went to photograph my first wedding 13 years ago, I knew one person sort of that like had photographed weddings before. Um, And luckily, so I went to him and he was like a friend of a friend of a friend kind of thing. And I messaged him or emailed him or something and just said like, Hey, I'm going to, I have to photograph this wedding. Like, what can I do? Like, what's, can you just give me a couple pieces of advice? Um, And he's like, well, here's the, the one, if I can only give you one piece of advice, it's this, like have backups of everything. Um, and to me that meant like gear. Right. Um, and so 
I made sure that I went out and got a different camera. So I didn't only have one and I made sure that I had more than two lenses um, so that, you know, in case one went down or whatever, I'd have another thing. Um, and sure enough, my very first wedding as the ceremony is starting, one of my cameras locks up and isn't working at all as people are walking down the aisle. Um, and so from literally day one, luckily, like my friend had said, like, you have to have two cameras with multiple lenses. Um, you have to have two flashes. You have to have double the amount of batteries you think you need. You need to have double the amount of storage in terms of memory cards than you think you'll need. Um, and so luckily that's, and that same thing happens to me maybe once a year or something where a camera at a crucial moment will just stop working. Um, which obviously is terrifying, but I'm, I've since since that day, I've always had two cameras on me at all times, um, at a wedding day. And so, yeah. And, and, and going through with that too, um, the thing that is like the least sexy thing to like pay for or buy is definitely hard drives and uh, things like that. But I was also um, when I first kind of started, I was actually doing some video work um, just for like this church that I was uh, a part of and stuff. And the person who I was working with, his kind of like motto with everything is it doesn't exist until it's in three like physical places. Um, and so I've always just taken that with me as well of, man, I need to make sure that this wedding that these people paid me a ton of money for is sitting on these like $30 memory cards. Um, and until it's separated out, like I can't have any sort of sense of, I don't know, like relaxation or anything until I know for a fact that these things are going to be treated in a way that's like respectful. And cause so I think most people, um, what I see photographers do all the time is they will photograph an event or whatever, and they'll have like limited memory cards. And so maybe they're doing a double header where they have one wedding on a Friday and then another one on a Saturday, they'll take the memory cards, they'll dump them to like a single hard drive. And then without even verifying that those photos are backed up correctly, they will then take that same memory card that they just shot on, put it back in their camera, reformat it for the next day, and then shoot over that thing again. And then maybe their photos didn't import correctly or whatever the case may be. There's just a ton of holes in the, the way that photographers often, you know, deal with their images because they just... Most photographers are some somewhat techie, but they're also very like artistically minded. And so thinking through sort of the back end and the repercussions of things, if something goes wrong, isn't always on the forefront of people's minds. And so, yeah, I made a whole video uh, on my YouTube channel because I was just so sick of seeing photographers complaining like, oh, I lost like half this reception or I lost this part or I formatted over this engagement session or what do I do? And, um, just realizing that, man, like there's some really, really simple, easy steps you could take to make sure that that doesn't happen. Um, and so it's been sort of like a mini passion project of mine to make sure that photographers are thinking through their main commodity, because the thing that you're selling and putting everything about yourself into is your images. Um, and for video people, obviously like it's your, um, your videos and your footage and stuff like that. And so, um, yeah, I just went on this whole process of like making sure that all my stuff is backed up and secure and figure out a good system, um, where I'm using like these Synology NAS devices and, um, shooting on multiple cards. If I have the option to do that and putting them in multiple locations and, um, having online backups and just like 
so many ways that are actually pretty easy to do that uh, most people, I don't know, are just incredibly irresponsible with their footage and their one hard drive drop or one accidental deletion or whatever away from like losing a thousands of dollars, a huge part of their reputation. And then, um, you know, a full person's memories, uh, because of just being, I don't know, oblivious or irresponsible, you know? Still recording on my What's end. What's happened? Can you hear us? That was unexpected. I don't know what to do. Oh. Oh. Hello? We totally missed out on what you'd yeah. said about your workflow. Can't wait to hear the rest of that. <laughs> <laughs> do you, uh, do you want to run it through us again? I don't know. I think we could just wait till the edit. <laughs> yeah, it's for, for, for people listening, we, we cut out on this recording that we're doing online, so... Yeah, we're going to hear what Benj said. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that'll be fun. Yeah, it was bizarre. I just kept talking and didn't hear any positive affirmation of what I was saying. And then I was like, well, I'll just... Oh my God, no. Has it happened again? Oh, no. Oh, no. I think think that was just a normal cut out there. Jeez. (laughs) Jeez, what's happening? (laughs) So... Let's let's move on to a wee bit about sort of the education <coughs> side of stuff that you do because I know you've done quite a few speaking gigs. You've got a presence on mm-hmm. YouTube, educating people and talking about gear. What is it about the sort of education in the wedding industry that is important to you? Um. Yeah. So I mean, it was one of those things where I was really, really, really reluctant to do it. Yeah. Um, at first, uh, I just, it was one of those things where I just didn't feel, I don't know, a, like maybe qualified or like I wanted to be that person that did that kind of stuff. But, um, I actually like considered being a teacher before I became a photographer when I was like in university and kind of earlier, um, had always just been one of those things. Like, I just like kind of like love to help people and, um, love to share information and stuff like that. And so, there was just a few people that, um, especially early on, I would get asked to speak at something or whatever, and I would always just turn it down. Um, and then there was a few people that were like, no, 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 I'm going to fly to Seattle and I want you to teach me this thing or that thing. Or I just like, you know, really want that to happen. So mm-hmm. it was just one of those things where I was just really reluctant. I wanted to do it, but I just didn't feel I was, I don't know, qualified or whatever. Um, but it was one of those things where I was always kind of like putting advice online and I've always been active in Facebook groups and before that were Flickr groups and always just been trying to be someone that was part of the community and helping people out because I mean, I didn't go to school for photography at all. And there's been a ton of times where the communities helped me either get through things or figure something out or whatever. So I've always been one to kind of try to push that stuff back out sort of into the world. Right. Um, And then as someone that um, actually got to speak at something, are you guys still there? Yep. Your yes. thing just dropped out. Okay, Sorry. cool. Yep, sorry. Um, <laughs> there was this weird like <clears throat> like noise that happened and then uh, I saw nothing on your end. It was like, oh, great. <laughs> okay, so <Okay>. sorry. <laughs> anyway, so it was one of those things where someone, uh, people had been asking me to speak at their events for a while. And I finally, like as sort of like a personal challenge, gave in and said, sure, I'll do it. Uh, but I'm only going to do it if I talk about something that is actually important to me. Yeah. Uh, and then 
So I did that. I, I talked about like a lot of the stuff we've actually talked about in this podcast about like kind of like legacy and longevity and cool. thinking beyond uh, what I guess like social media or the industry might tell you is important. Um, so I did that. And then um, someone else was at that conference and saw me speak and they were putting on their own conference. And so they invited me to speak at theirs in Australia. And then someone else saw me speak at that one. And it just was exactly how, you know, the whole photography thing happened for me um, is the same thing that speaking and teaching and stuff like that happened is like, I did one and then people seemed to like it. And so uh, <laughs> I kept getting invited to more and more and more. And it's obviously um, now been, you know, part of who I am and what I do. And um, and all that stuff. And it's something for me too, that, um, I obviously like love photography and, and all that stuff, but I also, you know, have a young family. My wife is actually pregnant right now too. Oh, and congratulations. So, um, being, yeah, thank you. And so being like a destination wedding and elopement photographer and traveling for most of the year, um, is kind of hard too. So, um, if I'm able to, you know, do some YouTube stuff and I, I recently started like a Patreon, um, where people can, you know, subscribe to learn things from me specifically. Um, and I do workshops and stuff like that. It's been a really, really cool thing that's been like beneficial for me, but also super beneficial. Um, I've heard from others that have been able to, you know, take that information and that stuff mainly because, you know, as you guys were saying, I've been doing this for 13 years and most people that are learning from me or whatever are learning things I wish I would have learned 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, and so it ends up being something that hopefully is really mutually beneficial and mm. yeah, something I really love to do. Yeah. 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 It's all about sort of letting people learn from mistakes that throughout the years we've made or you've made and just yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. try and accelerate things because we've all made quite a few mistakes throughout the years, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Sheesh, way too many, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, whenever I talk on the podcast about mistakes that we've done, Greg always gives me a wee, a wee eye and hints at yeah. me that I probably <laughs> shouldn't be admitting this <laughs> to everyone. But I still do it anyway, I, I, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think there's like a, a something to be said about like a level of humi- humility and like transparency uh, that is also like really beneficial to people, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Since having kids, obviously you do a lot of destination stuff. Have you have you tried to reduce the amount of travel, or is that something you you've considered? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, at sort of like my peak, which for me was a lot. For other people, that's like just a normal year. Um, I was doing like forty weddings a year, and at least half of those I was like getting on a plane to go to. Yeah. Um, and, um, that was just like completely unsustainable for me because I was doing that and I was starting to teach. And, um, I, I, so I did one year, I did like probably 30 or 40 portrait sessions. I did 40 weddings. Half of them were travel. I did like 25 mentor sessions and I spoke at like five different conferences or something. Um, and that was just like so incredibly overwhelming that mm-hmm. I had no other life except for that. Damn. <laughs> um, and so, so now like, um, you know, I, I have a few other avenues that, uh, that I do that are all still really obviously tied to the, the wedding industry and stuff as well. But, um, now my total amount of weddings is around that kind of like 15 to 20 mark. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm traveling for 
still most of those, but um, it's much more sustainable. So like my big goals aren't necessarily to make more money, but just to have more time and to like see my kids grow up and be yeah. bigger part of their lives than I would mm-hmm. be otherwise. Right. Yeah. A hundred percent. Cause obviously we know of, obviously our friends, Wayne Reverie, they, I remember talking to them when, uh, when their kid came along and yeah. I remember having the conversation with them about how they're, um, readjusting their marketing and, and talking about how they were kind of pulling back and at the same time going to Iceland. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Oh, totally. I mean, I'm on a similar train for sure. Like I talk about pulling back and all this stuff, but then like when something awesome like that comes up, like I'm still totally like saying yes. Yeah. Um, but it's all, it's all about figuring out balance and, yeah, for me, which I'm not always great at, but trying to communicate with my wife and go like, Hey, usually if, it, if, if there's any sort of travel wedding, I'm usually asking her first and just going like, Hey, this would be, you know, this, the next weekend after I was just in Colorado, can I do this thing in on the East coast? Uh, you know, like, is that going to be too much for our family? Do you have to work in between that kind of stuff? Like, mm-hmm. um, it's just a, trying to balance out like the need to work and do stuff like that. And then the need to have like some semblance of a normal human life (laughs) apart from that you know yeah a hundred percent we've actually so greg and i obviously have the business calendar where we put all of our business stuff um and my wife also sees the business stuff (laughs) yeah so so obviously i ask her before i put stuff in but uh it's always nice that she can just it's there for her to just double check if or she could go in and block off a weekend oh yes you guys have something planned mm. uh, yeah it's all about balancing that stuff yeah yeah but it's always tricky having kids and my wife and yeah but it's fun oh absolutely <laughs> um so uh my friend ashley baxter uh asked me to ask you a question um, and yeah. now it might be a little bit tongue-in-cheek so uh apologies for that <laughs> but she wanted to know if you always photographed good-looking couples I think that's an air quotes. Good looking. Yeah. Air quotes in there. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I'm guessing is basically do you curate your potential clients? I'm assuming is what she was getting at. Yeah, man. I feel like if I said yes to that after everything else we talked about, it would be <laughs> right. such a such a huge discrepancy <laughs> in like. You'd be like, oh man, this guy actually has some like good thoughts on some stuff. Oh, he's incredibly shallow. Like, <laughs> um, so no, I, I mean. I, what my sort of strategy with all of that kind of stuff is, is that I've actually never turned down a wedding. Like I've never said no. I've never said, Hey, our styles aren't cohesive or whatever. My whole thing with everything, um, regardless of what they look like or what their style is or anything like that is if you enjoy how I document interactions between people and how I document where you are and what happened and all that kind of stuff. You can look any way you want, be anywhere you want, and I will photograph that for you because those interactions and that kind of stuff is the thing that I find to be, I don't know, most important and the thing that uh, means the most yeah. in my work, right? Yeah, um, But obviously I, I do curate... Um, the locations and the kind of the styles and stuff like that. Like I'll show 
um, specific things that I had a bigger connection with or things I want to do more often. Um, so on my website and on my Instagram and stuff like that, like I still photograph weddings and ballrooms in downtown Seattle or stuff like that. But you'll most often not see that on my website because I feel most at home um, and kind of like most comfortable and relaxed and stuff like that when I am like out and in the mountains or in the forest or at a national park or something like that. So that's still the stuff that I'm like putting out there to the world. Yeah. Um, but I'm still not turning down anybody that's doing something different. Um, because the key thing I'm showing the people that I also connected with on that approach level, but also like my kind of just general style preference is those things. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of like my way of sort of curating what like my ideal situation is. Mm-hmm. Um, and my, I guess my ideal client like loves those things. But the thing that trumps all those things and is most important is how they view their day in terms of how they want to experience it and how I can then document that stuff for them. Does that make sense? Yeah. Totally. I'm so glad you said that. And <clears throat> yeah. we we'd sort of agree with that like we if if a couple likes our style enough and likes us as people and connects with us we're not going to say no to them like yeah that'd be awful yeah if they want to hire us to capture their memories of course we're going to do that and how weird would it be to assume negative thoughts about a wedding that's not happened yet like you know what i mean oh my gosh yeah we we don't do that for like wedding venues or or couples interests or anything like that. It's yeah, if they come to us and they want an awesome wedding film, that's what we're gonna make for them. So hopefully, yeah, <laughs> hopefully, Greg. Yeah, and I I just think, <laughs> but I think that like you know what a terrible taste you're gonna leave in someone's mouth if you're telling them like their wedding or their style or whatever isn't cool enough for you. Like oh, I can't think of anything worse. Uh, yeah. Oh god, gross. <laughs> yeah, like. And I'm, I actually know that I have put off that feeling to people before just who haven't actually talked to me. Um, and obviously I try everything I can not to do that, but I've had, I, I, I specifically always think back to this wedding that they were just, their main goal and priority was to have everybody in their life be together. And so they had like a 300 plus person wedding and to accommodate that they had to do it in a big hotel ballroom. Yeah. And I remember the, I don't know the bride or the groom, which, which of them said it, but they, sort of like apologized to me for not being in a cooler location. And I mean, this was like, I don't know, probably six or seven years ago. I'll probably never forget it. Just going like, no, 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 no. Like you guys are what makes this amazing and beautiful. And I could be in the coolest place in the world, but if the people were interacting terribly with me or like had, you know, if everything else was bad, like that would be so much worse than me being in, a place that might not fit my aesthetic style or whatever. Um, because those people in that wedding at this ballroom were incredible. And like all those interactions were amazing and I loved every minute of it. Um, and so that's like ultimately for sure what means way more than like being in some, in front of some cool mountain, you know? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I've had one or two brides in, 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 well, actually, yeah, it was the brides say that as well, that kind of apologetically, oh, sorry, it's not what you post online or whatever. And I'm like, this is awesome. I'm having such a blast here. You guys are having such a blast. And they're always like, are you getting some good stuff? Or, you know, are, are, you, are you, is it okay? I'm like, yeah, yeah it's all going to be awesome. Yeah, yeah. totally. <laughs> Random question. Do you guys ever deliver things in black and white? Do you ever convert to black and white because the color is so bad? Do you ever have to do that? You know, well, funnily enough, I actually did turn one of our trailers black and white. 
for just sh- shits and giggles, but Greg <laughs> yeah. did not like it. <laughs> yeah, it just it just didn't sit right. I don't know why. Um, yeah. Keen on it. yeah, yeah. It's a, that's I think that's a discrepancy between like video and photo is like I mean I always say that like black and white covers a multitude of sins and so yeah, yeah, yeah. it looks cool and you can get away with it way more on photos than video but yeah. I think if I would if I did do video I would probably intersperse between the two if the light was really bad and it just felt better in black and white like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah there are some people that I've seen do it <laughs> we used to do that right <clears throat> at the very beginning. Remember, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right at the very beginning, you're absolutely right. We we had a uh, like this is going back to 2010. It's the start <laughs> of when we kicked off, and we had what was called the vintage <laughs> style as an offering. Yes. Like people could pay yeah. to have their film edited, <laughs> and it was like that's awesome. It wasn't it wasn't replicating Super 8, but it was it had mm-hmm. that sort sure. of grainy, filmy look, and that would cut into black and white every so often. Yeah. So yeah, we've not done that See? for. Eight nine years mm-hmm. or more, actually. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I, I, I think our films would would be all right in black yeah. and white. And as I, I say, there I, is people that do it and it, it look good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, see, and sort go. of wrapping up a wee bit, we've got a few questions that we normally ask, <clears> but I'm going to throw an extra one in for you. So, what <laughs> do you have a recommendation for a point and shoot film camera if someone wants to start Ooh. in that? <clears throat> probably oh, probably going to be low cost I would say maybe yeah 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 so uh, if you can find most of the Olympus stylus cameras are at least like under 50 US dollars or at least under 100 yeah um, so if you can get like the Olympic stylus that is uh, like a 35 f 3.5 like that camera is cheap and amazing so that's like my my recommendation for a starter one for sure I actually have a video about starting on film and what cameras to buy on YouTube if you want to look at it. Oh, <laughs> sweet. All right. I'll definitely check that out. Yeah. Yeah. That was just a wee bonus one just because yeah. it might be interesting to people. Um, I didn't assume that you asked that to everybody. No. <laughs> so one that we do ask most people is, do you have any book recommendations, whether it's like a photography book or a business book or just anything you're enjoying right now? Oh man, I wish I love reading and I never do it ever. So I listen to a lot of podcasts and yeah. that's about it, unfortunately. And right now my podcast uh, regimen is completely consumed with politics and uh. the coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> so what, uh, yep. if it wasn't at the right now, what would be your favorite podcast? Um, oh yeah. So my favorite podcast is just that it's just random is a podcast called reply all from Gimlet. Yes. I love that one. Uh, And it's a, yeah, it's a podcast just all about the internet and, uh, the stuff that they go on and the, the stuff they talk about and stuff is just fascinating and hilarious. And so, yeah, that's my, probably my favorite overall podcast that has nothing to do with anything. (laughs) I tend to, I'd agree with that. And I think most stuff that the Gimlet sort of studio put out is usually really good. So, yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. I am not familiar with this podcast. I will obviously I have to check it out. Oh. I'll have to check out. <laughs> well, you got something to do now with this. Uh, they have like hundreds of episodes you could listen to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, well, obviously you've mentioned your uh, YouTube channel. Do you have any other social plugs? Like tell our listeners where they can find you, where they can check out your stuff. 
<clears throat> yeah. So um, my name is Benj Heish and that is spelled B-E-N-J-H-A-I-S-C-H. Um, and you can find me on basically everything with that tag because uh, no one else has my name, I don't think, in the entire world. So <laughs> um, if you want to find me on basically any social platform, I mean, I'm on uh, obviously Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and, and all that stuff. Um and then, yeah, I have like my, my presets and my kind of like other stuff is called cascade. Uh, they're based off like the mountains that I live next to. And then also kind of the idea that information can cascade from one person to another and kind of like make this big effect mm-hmm. on people. So, Very nice. uh, yeah, kind of double cool, double meaning there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have presets that do that. And then, um, I recently kind of moved some of my teaching luckily, I mean, at this time onto an online platform called Patreon, uh, that I just started earlier this month. So Very cool. um, it's sort of like the YouTube thing, except for way more like tutorials and uh, more practical things for wedding professionals specifically. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, we'll put links to all that in the show notes, obviously. Um, finally, who would you recommend or suggest we speak to next or soon? Ooh, um, I, I wish I should have gone through your whole like back catalog of people and realized who you have and haven't talked to. My neighbor, uh, Kristen Marie Parker is an amazing photographer that you should talk to because her perspective right. on how she, if you guys haven't talked to her, um, she's a photographer too, but her perspective on, um, matching and empathizing with people's personalities and thinking deep with that is something that, uh, I don't, do as well as her. And I always find fascinating. So, um, she's like just the first person that came to my mind. So, all right. Very cool. Yeah. Christine Marie Parker. Kristen Marie Parker. Yep. She's amazing. She, she had like multiple weddings in Vogue this year and, uh, yeah, she's great. Cool. Cool. Check her out and maybe reach out to her. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, it's been good just to chat and forget about the outside world for a bit yes thank you so i don't, much I don't want that. to Absolutely. leave i don't want to leave this room we're currently in a sort of soundproofed dark room and i'm like i don't want to leave here yep it's safe yeah yeah, yeah thanks again sheesh. it's been good chatting yeah thanks guys appreciate it and people can find us at cinemate films on all those social places as always yeah absolutely check us out and uh since I know we said we weren't going to talk about this much. Since there is isolation and everything, feel free to just leave us little video messages in our DMs. Just start chatting with us. We'll it'll, it'll be a fun game to figure out who's actually writing back, Greg or I, so that'll be fun. <laughs> but uh, feel free to just chat nonsense to us if you would like. Oh, oh Greg, and uh, do we have a review shout-out? Yes, we do. Okay. Yeah, I have actually... I just got an email through. I use a program to collate all the reviews from different countries because weird quirk about iTunes podcasts. When you check the page, it only shows you your country. Oh. So it would only show us UK reviews, but you can hack that and make it look as if you're in other countries or this program that's just emailed me. This came through as we're recording. Oh, really? Cool. So it says, love it. Five stars. Love the show. Listening from Australia. Love hearing some of my friends talk about their work. Nicky's and Craig were brilliant. The accents are a bonus too. And that's from the name on the reviews, Russell Pham. So I don't actually know who it is, but Russell Pham, thank you very much. Russell, Russell. Russell Russell Pham? Yeah, thanks. Russell Pham, thank you very much. G'day, mate. 
Oh, that was Sorry. fucking awful. <laughs> Why, Greg? Why? Now he's not going to listen to the show. He already hates you or enough. He or she. We don't know. He or you're absolutely right. I'm so sorry. However, that's All just right. offensive in whoever is listening. Just whoever. It's offensive to me, Greg. Jeez. Anyway, we hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, hit that subscribe button so you know when the next episode goes online. And please leave a review because we really do want to grow this podcast. But if you can't be bothered, I get it. you got a lot of stuff to do. However. Until next time. Enjoy your life.